We'll try one more time. Merry Christmas. There we go. It's great to be here with you guys this afternoon as we get to gather together and celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into this world. This morning we're going to continue. This morning, you see that? This afternoon, we're going to continue in Luke, and we're going to begin in chapter 2, verse 1, if you'd like to follow along. We read in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray. God, as we approach your word this afternoon... Lord, as we draw our attention to your arrival here, putting on flesh and coming to dwell among us, Lord, a familiar text, but we pray that we would see it in a fresh and new way today. Would you speak to us? Would you encourage our hearts? Would these words truly be words of good tidings that bring great joy for all people? And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Well, what we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke chapter 2 is exactly what the angel declared it to be, good news 
of great joy. You know, if we could assign a love language to God, to say a a primary way that we see God demonstrating his love to people, it wouldn't be hard to believe that gift giving is one of those things, that God just loves to give gifts to his children. He delights in blessing his people and giving gifts to them to demonstrate his love. In fact, we could go to the verse that everybody's heard, John 3, 16, and we could see that God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. He gave a gift. He gave his son for us. We could read in James chapter 1, verse 17, where we're reminded that every good and perfect gift, it comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We could even look at Matthew 7 where Jesus reminds the disciples if if we can give good gifts to our children, how much more can our Heavenly Father give good gifts to us, to those who ask Him? And so this Christmas Eve and tomorrow on Christmas, what we want to do is we want to unwrap together just how good our God is and how great a gift has been given to us. Now, many things have changed over the years. Styles have changed. Opinions have changed. Trends have changed. Language has changed. What was once viewed as valuable and current and even necessary and relevant can shift in a season to become outdated, old news, behind on the times. But there are those things that no matter what the time or season is, no matter how long it has been in practice, it continues to remain relevant, true, and necessary. This afternoon, we're going to spend some time revisiting a very familiar section of Scripture. But the truths that this scripture speaks to are truths that are still relevant, important, necessary, and helpful for us today. They're truths that we need to be reminded of again and again. And so I challenge you, don't allow the desire for something new to sneak into your Christmas and rob you of the gift of these timeless truths. It's not new but that doesn't mean it's outdated or lacking value. It hasn't changed, but that doesn't make it irrelevant today. It isn't flashy, but that doesn't mean it's cheap or insignificant. And my prayer is that we would meet with the Lord in a very familiar territory, but in a fresh and impactful way this morning. As we approach His Word that is living and active, as we allow His Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts And show us the truth within his word. And as we look at this text where we see the greatest gift ever given to mankind, I can't help but also think many of you, I hope and pray at this point, have finished getting all the gifts you need to. And if you haven't, you've you've really done yourself a disservice because you have very little time left. And I already know that your afternoon is going to be marked by stress. I'm sure many of you experienced a dilemma, though, a process that we all go through when we come to this season. 
Or maybe you picked names in your house for who you were going to get a gift for. Or maybe it was just a given. I know I'm going to get a, wife, uh, a gift for my wife. I know my, I'm going to get a gift for my, my children. And maybe there were some boundaries or parameters set on what you should and shouldn't get. But then you're left with that hardest question to answer of all, what's the greatest possible gift I can give them? Not just something that they'll say, well, that's nice. I appreciate the effort, but something that they're truly going to love, something they're going to use. And is there anything worse than getting someone a gift and then coming to their house maybe a year later or a couple years later and you see that thing stashed away in the garage somewhere gathering dust? Ah, that was not a good gift to give. No, we want to get them a gift that's going to be used, appreciated, valued, that's necessary. And there's different resources you could have used to try and come to the answer to that question. Maybe you ask their close friends and family, what do they like? What do they need? What size shoe are they? Maybe you went online and you started Googling and and going on Etsy and getting ideas or Pinterest and you're trying to decide what would they really love? What can I get them this year? You went to stores and you compared brands and looked for deals and And finally, you chose the gift that you thought, this is it. This is the one. They're going to love this. And you wrapped it, and you put it under the tree, and then there's that moment of truth. When the great unveiling takes place, and they unwrap that gift, and you see their reaction, and in that moment, you know. There's no questioning anymore. There's no doubt. Did I do it, or did I not? I remember the first year I was married to my wife, getting her gifts and thinking, man, I've got this down. This was a breeze. I don't know why people stressed about it. I went out for one afternoon. I picked up four different things, and I was done. We're good. And that Christmas morning as we're opening them, and I see her reaction for the first three gifts, I'm thinking, I've struck out. I'm already 0 for 3, and we've got a fourth gift coming. But I thought, surely this gift, I couldn't have blown it, right? It was a pair of earrings. And I thought, of all the gifts I got her, this was the safest bet, right? What wife doesn't appreciate getting earrings from her husband? And she opens the final gift, and she looks at it for a minute, and she pauses. She kind of examines it, and then she begins to laugh out loud, which is not the reaction you want, okay? And I'm thinking, now... I would have expected either like gratitude or maybe frustration, but the laughter confused me. And so I had to ask, why are you laughing about the earrings? And she said, how long did you look at this pair before you chose them? And I'm thinking, well, there was like a thousand different options on the wall, but these ones looked good. Why? And she said, these are clip-on earrings, Lucas. (laughs) Needless to say, I, I was 0 for 4 that Christmas. But I'm grateful as we look at our text today that our God of great detail didn't go 0 for 4 in his gift that he gave us. He didn't quickly pull something off the shelf and throw it at us. Figure it out with that. He knew our greatest need and he had the solution to that need in his son that he sent to the earth. We read that it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is not a godly man. 
This wasn't a man that understood prophecy. This wasn't a man that was trying to usher in the coming Messiah. And yet God has so moved the heart of Augustus that he calls for a census, and in so doing, sets the stage for the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. This is not coincidence. This is providence. God getting Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that prophecy might be fulfilled from Micah chapter 5 verse 2, where we read, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. God was working about a plan that was going to fulfill prophecy and getting Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem on that day. Now, we've talked about getting gifts for people. And as I mentioned, I hope and I pray that you are completely finished because there's nothing worse than the feeling of when you know you've waited too long. And you go on Amazon and you realize it's not coming in a day or two. It's not coming till January and you've got some explaining to do. And I'm grateful that we serve a God who has perfect timing. And it took perfect timing. He's got a small window to work with here. He's got to get Mary and Joseph all the way to Bethlehem before she gives birth, but not so soon as that they might go and fulfill the census and return again and leave. There's this window. And yet in God's perfect timing and providence, As Mary has already been given the news that she will give birth to this son, they're given this census and they make the journey. And this wasn't a one-day journey. They're traveling somewhere between 80 and 100 miles in just under 1,000 feet of elevation on foot with a donkey. This is a long hike. It's going to take some time and no doubt it would have been uncomfortable no matter what season of the pregnancy what stage Mary was in. But God has planned this out to the very detail. In fact, a great theologian once said, R.C. Sproul, God doesn't roll dice. And I like that. Is there any more simple way to put it? God doesn't roll dice. This isn't happening by chance. He didn't get lucky in getting them there on time. This was part of his plan all along, even when he had the prophecy first declared in Micah. We could even read in Galatians chapter 4 that it says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, When everything was falling in line with God's perfect plan, and he says, all right, now I'm going to have this census sent out. Now I'm going to bring you to Bethlehem because this is all part of my plan. And then the most glorious arrival that's ever taken place, God has just given us the gift of his son who's coming to live and die for us. The rescue plan of our souls, Emmanuel, God with us, And Luke, the historian, the doctor, a man of great detail, leaves us longing when all he tells us is the days were completed for her her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son. That's it. That's all he gives us. 
There's no explanation to when she started feeling contractions. Said, Joseph, this might be it. There's no words about the panic that Joseph's feeling as he's pacing in the room and saying, what do we do here? Where are we supposed to go? There's no room in the inn. There's no details about the pain she felt in childbirth. There's no medical terms given about the labor and delivery. Luke just gives us these small details. And nothing about those details he gives us seem right. Of all the details he could have given us for the greatest gift ever been presented to humanity, there's no special setting. He just tells us there was no room in the inn. And so Jesus was delivered where they found space for him to be delivered. And isn't that true today as well? Jesus will go wherever someone makes space in their heart for him to come. But there's no special notes given about the delivery, the labor. We're just told he was born. And it almost feels dishonorable, even shameful, the fact that the only details were given is that there was no room for him. The God who came to make room for us in heaven, and when he comes to earth, how is he welcomed with no room or space for him? And the details we are given, he's delivered and he's laid in an animal trough. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. And yet in all of this, there's a message that God is sending out loud and clear in the way his gift is being presented to the world. See, Jesus wasn't elevated to a place for his birth that only the rich, famous, and powerful could go to see him. Because Jesus came bearing good news of great joy that would be to all people in all places at all times. He was in a space that was accessible to anybody. Not everybody could go into the palace. Even Mary and Joseph weren't able to go into the inn. But whatever space it is they find themselves in, clearly... Anyone can go here. There's enough room for everyone to come. And we read that he was laid in a manger, an animal trough, and immediately we assume this was some kind of stable with some hay, and he's next to the cows and the horses, and they're all just looking at him and smiling because that's what every children's story shows us. But the reality is most believe this would have actually been a cave that they would have found themselves in where animals would have most likely been kept, which is why there's this feeding trough there that they can lay him in. And how interesting is it that in the few details Luke actually gives us, he tells us that in God entering humanity, coming to earth to dwell among us, that he was wrapped in linen cloths and that he was lying in this stone animal trough that no other baby had ever been laid in. And those details, if you know your word, begin to to scream out to you because how did God depart this earth? How did Jesus leave this place? After his crucifixion, when he was wrapped in linen cloths and he was laid inside a tomb, inside a cave, 
that no man had ever been laid in. The very same details given of his birth and his death, of his entrance and his exit, that he's wrapped in linen cloths and he's lied in this place of stone that no one had been laid before. Well, that's because this is no ordinary man. This is God in the flesh. Set apart for a purpose. A rescue mission by his father to save humanity. And even from his birth, God is saying, he is coming to be the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He has been born to die. And even from his birth, the few details you're given, those are going to scream out as you read through his life, his death, and then his resurrection. But who is it that we read the good news came to? The greatest news ever given is given to shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. Now you can't miss this. The angel tells the shepherds, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He was born to the shepherds, not to the kings. He was born by a lowly maid servant, not by a queen. The good news of the Savior's birth came to the most unlikely group of people, especially in the time and culture they lived in. Shepherds were at the bottom of the ladder in society. They were uneducated men, increasingly viewed at the time of Jesus' birth as dishonest, unreliable, and unsavory characters. So much so, they were not allowed to testify in court because their word was not considered valid. And yet these are the people God brings the greatest news ever given to. These are the people he uses to go out and share this message with anyone and everyone that would hear. Now it's important that we realize that is not to say that any time you read of a shepherd within all of Scripture that it was an illegitimate or disreputable occupation. I mean, we could read in the Old Testament of two of the greatest figures in Israel's History, Moses and David, both of whom were shepherds. The Old Testament refers to God as the shepherd of Israel, and Jesus himself refers to himself as the good shepherd. Shepherds, however, were lowly, humble people, and definitely not the ones you'd expect to be given the greatest privileges and honor within a community. So why the shepherds? Of all the people God could have brought this message to, why did he choose these shepherds in this culture at this time and this place? I believe there's many reasons we could look at, but we're just going to mention a few quickly as we finish here. First, what we see about these shepherds is that they weren't above the task of seeking out this child the angel has told them about. They weren't above the task. They didn't say, really, you want us to go wandering through the town looking for a baby that was born in a manger? No, what do we read in the text? They said, let us now go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing. They weren't above this task. There's humility there that says, we've just seen an angel of God. We've seen a heavenly host singing out to him. Let's go right now and let's see this for ourselves. 
Secondly, they weren't too busy to go and investigate what the angel had told them. It doesn't say so they pondered these things for a few weeks. And once they had some downtime, they said, why not? Let's go see. No, it says that they went with haste. They weren't too busy to be obedient to what the Lord had told them to do. We also see that they weren't too proud to go with the message of the Messiah as they come and see this baby born and laid in this manger, the one who would be the savior of the world that was born to them, the shepherds that everyone else looked down on. They leave that place and made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. Why would he use such a people in such a lowly state? They've got nothing to lose. There's no reputation they're worried about tainting here. They're already viewed as as the lowest in society, and now they said, we're going to go and tell everyone. We don't care what people think about it. We don't care how they respond to it. We're used to being looked at in a negative way, to being looked over and mistreated, but This is a message everybody needs to hear, and so we're going to go and tell them. It continued to reinforce the message that this Messiah had come to everyone, because what do we read about the reaction of people they go and speak to being? Those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. People are marveling at what's being told to them by shepherds. Of all the people they expected to come and tell them this kind of good news of great joy, surely they didn't expect it to come from shepherds. Maybe the Pharisees, the priests, the Levites, but the shepherds, certainly not. And they're marveling at it. What does this mean for us? That if God has truly come to dwell among humanity, he chose to tell the shepherds, and they're the ones going out to tell us the message. Well, it's continuing to reinforce that point that he didn't just come for the religious elite in their day. He came for those that everybody else overlooked. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Do you realize the beauty in Jesus' birth that it's proclaiming the gospel message that this is for all people, that there is no one too far gone where sin abounds and Jesus' grace abounds so much more. And his blood can cover a multitude of sins. And he desires to use those that are humble enough and obedient enough to go when he calls and do what he says and give him the glory in it. And it's the final thing we see the shepherds doing. They glorified God and the task they'd been given. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. They're not taking any kind of credit for themselves. They know full well they weren't chosen because of their status in society or anything they did to earn this honor. This is the grace of God on display. And so the glory and the credit, the honor and the praise, they know that it all belongs to God. 
And I wonder this afternoon as we approach a familiar text, as we come to a season where we celebrate Jesus that came to earth for us, who are we in the story? Are we the people that have no room for Jesus? Are we the people that the shepherds spoke to who marvel at this saying, but we don't see any real response from it? Or are we the shepherds in the story that are impacted in a powerful way that God would come and dwell among us to save us while we were still sinners that he would die for us? It is a God, a shepherd, who would even leave the 99 to go for the one. And that he sought us out. He knows us by name and has plans for us. Church, we have a reason to sing today. We have a reason to celebrate today. And it's the same reason we come together every year to sing out and celebrate that our God has come and dwelled among us. That Emmanuel, God, is with us. And more so, not only did he come to live among us, but he came to live among us so that he could die for us, so that he could be resurrected on that third day and offer us eternal life in him. It's a reason we can celebrate. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because the only right response in looking at a text like this and remembering Jesus' birth is to sing out is to join with the song of the angels. It's to join the song of heaven and celebrate the love of God and the plan of God and the invitation he gives to each and every one of us to be a part of his family in Jesus. If we would confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, and we too could be saved. So would you stand with me at this time as we move back into a time of worship? And church, let's be a people who sing out and respond like those shepherds in did in that day, not concerned with how people around us might respond. This is a moment for you to sing out to the God who came for you, to save you, to redeem you, to give you good tidings of great joy for all people. We're going to take a moment to light some candles together as a church family, and it's just a a very tangible reminder of the light that God has brought into our lives. When Jesus stepped into this world, John described him as the light of the world came to be the light of man. And what a wonderful reminder that we have as we see God's love displayed in Jesus, reflected to us. In him is found not just light and illumination and clarity, but life that we truly need. And so as we light our candles together and then sing a last song, just to reflect on what God has brought to us and the beauty that's available to us. Uh, The way we're going to do this, I'm going to light my candle up here, and then I'm going to light some of the candles of the team, and then they're going to start working their way back from the front to the back uh, in one of the aisles. And then you can just pass that as your candle is lit, just pass it to the person next to you. And then as the... the, uh, 
candles make their all the way there to the back, then we'll continue to sing together. So um, I'm going to grab my little candle lighter. We're going to light our candles. And as we're doing that, kids, you guys could come back up to the stage and, and take your spots.
I'm getting wax on my fingers. Anybody else? Let's not drag this out too much longer. You know, this is a, a just again a, a beautiful symbol. Just to stop and take a moment to look around and see the light around us, and know this again, just a reflection of God's gift to us and the light that He's brought into our lives that He wants to take and share with the world around us. And so, as we in a second extinguish our candles, just a reminder that we are the light of the world. That God has called us to be the light in our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, our families. And as we're extinguishing these candles, it's a reminder that this is the light that God has given us to take out into the world around us. The same light we have received, we want to give to others. And so let's go ahead and blow those out. And as we go again, I just want to say thank you for being here this afternoon. It's a joy to worship with you and celebrate what God has done. I hope that you and your family have a wonderful evening together. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 9.30 for those of you who are wanting to come and have worship service with us on Sunday morning. And so the Lord bless you and keep you. And from all of us up on stage and the Crossroads family, we just want to wish you guys, you guys ready? Merry Christmas. <laughs>